to the Tuesday Night Touchdown Podcast with your hosts, Reese Downing and Jacob Workman. What is going on, guys? It is TNT Tuesday Night Touchdown Podcast, NCAA and NFL Edition. Uh, we are going to touch base on quite a few things that have been happening here recently on the NCAA side of the equation, and then we'll obviously jump into some NFL stuff. With me, as always, is my co-host and fine citizen, Mr. Jacob Workman. Jake, how's it going, man? I know you're feeling a little bit under the weather again. Uh, yeah, uh, back coughing constantly, but... Uh, we're here finishing up the season, a couple episodes to go and one game left. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, a lot of things have been happening on the NCAA side though. So let's, let's kick things off there. I'm going to hand it back over to you here to, uh, to cover some news. Yeah. So one of the, uh, highly anticipated things that people have kind of been waiting on was Iowa to hire their offensive coordinator. As we know, uh, Brian Ferentz, Kirk Ferentz's son, uh, just couldn't get it done. He was basically fired before the year started and they, let him go out there with our water polo man every week and put up seven points. So, well, actually seven's probably generous three or five, <laughs> yeah, but the, uh, <laughs> uh, so they have actually hired Tim Lester as their offensive coordinator. So not really a, it's about what you would expect from Iowa, to be honest, no flash, nothing like that. So probably see much of the same there. Um, obviously we'll go through a little bit more in depth when it comes to preseason stuff like that in a few months. Uh, but that is it for Iowa. Um, obviously, one of the hot things right now is transfer portal. Uh, the 24-7 sports portal rankings right now. We're going to go through the top 10. Uh, so right now, we have Ole Miss coming in at number one, which we've talked about a little bit, how they've been killing the portal. Uh, one five-star, seven four-stars right now, and nine three-stars. Uh, number two is Texas A&M. Uh, it's Mike Elko coming in there, doing some good work already in the portal. Uh, number three is Oregon, Dan Lanning staying. Brought in some guys from, uh, they, they actually brought in um, Muhammad, the dominant corner from Washington, which was huge for them. Um, I'm sure they've had a few other big name guys, but one five star, five four stars for them. Uh, Florida State is coming in at four. Um, obviously, they took half of Bama's team. So zero five stars, but it is 10 four stars, which is the most of anyone. Uh, number five is Colorado. Uh, same as last year, another big portal team, Colorado with uh, Dion, but. Yeah, last year it didn't produce results, so we'll see what happens this year. Uh, number six is Louisville. Another team had a good season, went to the ACC championship. Uh, number seven is Texas going into the SEC. Number eight, Ohio State, which they've had a few pretty big-name signings, which we've gone over the last few weeks. Uh, kind of surprised, number nine, South Carolina. And then number 10 was NC State. Reese, you got anything on any uh, notable portal stuff here? No, I mean, I, the, I don't think much has shifted since the last time we took a look at this. Old Miss still at the top. Texas A&M is up there. Florida State, obviously, has been up there since all of the stuff with the Bama players has been happening. Uh, interested to see what's going to happen with Colorado. Obviously, they have 24 commits, seven four-stars coming into that program for year two for Dion. Should be interesting to see how they can uh, improve on the the culture and overall what they're doing there. The, uh, the eye-opening thing for me here was... Uh, NC State and uh, Purdue is in the top 15. Uh, they've had 15 commits. A j- vast majority of them are three stars, but yeah, I mean, that that's can still make an impact. Um, 
the the other one that I noticed was Ohio State, who is sitting at, in the top ten, but they've only had six commits. So I think that tells you Big that they're name. going over quality over quantity, right? You, you yep. know, so I, I think that's going to have a, a substantial impact on them. But yeah, I mean, all, all things considered, it's hard to see how these uh, are going to impact these these programs. I think looking at everything that we have here. I, I'm most interested to see how this is going to impact Colorado's program because they're bringing 24 new guys in, 17 of them three stars, seven of them four stars. That's a lot of uh, raw talent that Dion didn't have to work with last year uh, to complement some of those guys that are sticking around. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with Colorado. Yeah, and I know a few weeks ago when it was just me and you, we did uh, – we, we didn't have their schedule yet, but we went through who they were playing and kind of gave a win prediction, and their win total ended up coming out, and it was pretty low again. Yeah, um, so I, obviously that's something we'll definitely be going over in season previews with Colorado. But uh, so speaking of Colorado, the the Big Twelve schedule came out today. Uh, just some notable games from the schedule that came out. Arizona is going to be at Utah on September twenty eighth. Uh, obviously, we've got Noah Fafita versus Cam Rising there in an old Pac twelve battle, which is going to be huge. And obviously, what we always say, Utah at home is a much different animal, so that'll be a fun one. Uh, Kansas, Kansas State. Uh, that's October 26th. Sorry. Uh, Colorado at Arizona is October 19th. And again, that's Shador versus Noah Fafita. Uh, Colorado going to have to go on the road to Arizona, which should be a very big game. Um, Iowa State is going to be on the road at Utah November 23rd. And Oklahoma State is going to be at Kansas State on September 28th. Uh, f- last week, after we had done our NFL podcast, the Florida s- or the ACC schedule came out. Uh, just some notable games from that schedule. So Florida State is going to be going to the horse team SMU week five. Uh, when I looked at the schedule, that was actually one of the my biggest games I'm afraid of. I think SMU is going to be really good this year. It's a road game. We're going to be in Texas. And I mean, it's not a huge stadium, but that stadium is going to be as loud as that size stadium could possibly get. That's that's going to be their Super Bowl. And that if for week five, that actually is their very first ACC game, too. So that'll be a fun way for them to start conference play. Uh, NC State is at North Carolina week 14. Duke is at Miami week 10, which that's a little Manny Diaz reunion. Now the head coach at Duke used to be the head coach at Miami. Uh, Week one, we've got an interesting one, which we're going to go a little bit more in depth into Florida's schedule in a little bit. But Miami is at Florida week one. So we're going to get the Cam Rising, or Cam Rising, the Cam Ward debut for Miami in Gainesville in a uh, non-conference game that we haven't seen really recently. It's been a while since Miami and Florida have played. Uh, also, that same week, Clemson is going to be playing Georgia in Atlanta to start the season. That's a pretty big one also. Um, Clemson returning a lot of talent, and Georgia is obviously Georgia. Uh, Clemson will be in Tallahassee to play Florida State week six. Florida State is going to be at Notre Dame week 11, which that's a game that we talked about with Carter and Scott last week. Um, NC State will be at Clemson week four. Miami is going to be at Louisville week eight. And then Florida State will be at Miami on week nine. Uh, so I just kind of wanted to go game by game here with the Florida State schedule and just kind of give our predictions as we go, just to get a little feel of what we think will um, how the Knowles will fare coming off their undefeated season. So they're going to start week zero, our favorite week, uh, August 24th. So that's a very early start, August 24th. Uh, they are in Ireland, and they are going to be playing Georgia Tech. What, what would you say for win-loss prediction on that one? Uh, this should be pretty simple for Florida State, considering all the talent that's coming through. But I'm going to call that a win. 
Yeah, I would I would hope that that would be a win. Obviously, that will be the um, uh, that's going to be the debut for DJ Uyungagale and all the other Bama transfers coming in. They all came in, take a nice little trip to Ireland to start the year. I see you're already getting that last name down a little better. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's going to be a fun one. Uh, coming back, which Coach Norvell, they actually did an interview with him. They're actually going to stay in Ireland for a couple of days after the game so the guys can experience Ireland. But then we're coming right back and going Monday night, Labor Day, uh, at home, Boston College. Yeah, big game, but it, being at home, I think definitely helps them coming back from Ireland. If that were a road game, I'd be a little bit more concerned about that, but I'll take Florida State there in that one. Yeah, thankfully, it's not the damn red bandana game again. Anytime we go to BC, it's the red bandana game. doesn't matter when it is. So thankfully, we don't have to deal with that this year. Uh, because of the week zero game and being in Ireland, we get three buys this year. So we're going to have an early buy. So technically, technically week two, but Florida State's week three will be a bye week. And we're coming back uh, still in Tallahassee playing Coach Norvell's former team where he came from, Memphis, which he took to a New Year's Six Bowl before he came. Um, I th- I think this is going to be a scary game, to be honest. But, I mean, I like our, our odds in this, but I, I think it's going to be pretty scary. I do like we're coming off a bye. Yeah, I think it should be a, another one of those games that, you know, Florida State needs to show up. It can't be a cupcake game where they go in and just kind of mail it in. But I think they'll they'll get the W there. Memphis does have a, a solid offense uh, from this year. I don't know who all they're carrying in uh, next year as far as that's concerned, but I don't think they've had any major changes from the coaching staff. So uh, defense will definitely have to show up there, but I'll call that a Florida State win as well. And speaking of defense, uh, next, uh, new addition to the Atlantic Coast Conference all the way from the Pacific Coast, Cal. They, uh, they're going to be, they're going to be making their first trip to Tallahassee. So September 21st, it's going to be Cal in Tallahassee for an ACC conference game. Uh, Cal is, uh, I love Cal. I, I, they're one of my teams. I've watched a lot of very good defensive team. I love what Justin Wilcox does there. Their offense actually did get rolling towards the end last year. I think they had a couple games where they even scored like 50 or high forties. I remember we talked about mm-hmm. it. Like, like, what are they doing? They don't do this. Um, so obviously that's going to be, another threatening game. Uh, but I, I like our odds in this one still. Yeah. I like the odds in that one tough break for Cal is, you know, they're, this is the first time that they're playing Florida state in program history. And they, they're doing that with four different teams that are three different teams this year with Florida state, NC state and wake forest. So of the, uh, of the, the first time in program history games, you know, Florida state would not be the one I'd want to draw first, but <laughs> You know, it yeah. probably works out better for Cal because if they do end up losing that game, it's in September and they'll have plenty of times to continue growing or climbing up the rankings, you know, as long as they continue getting W's. Right. And I do, I do agree with that. And uh, as you just said, debuting their conference game, uh, we just talked about this. So on September 28th, Florida State first true road game. I mean, obviously we're going to Ireland. That's about as road game as you can get, but uh, first true road game. Uh, in Texas, the horse team, SMU, uh, I like I said, the first game I saw on the schedule that really caught my eye was this one because I know this team is good. Um, this is not going to be an easy game, and I'm sure that it's going to be a night game. You can already tell what kind of atmosphere they're going to try to build there. Um, I, I think this is going to be a high, very high-scoring game, but I do like us to overpower them in the end. 
Yeah, I see them getting a W out of this, but man, Florida State steps into a really tough portion of the schedule here, starting with this SMU game, and you're going to cover these next four or five games after that, but they go through a bit of a gauntlet here in the middle of their season. October specifically is going to be very, very telling for this Florida State team. Yeah, like last year, it was all September, and this year does seem to all be October. It's it's a lot. Um, going for on the road to SMU and what's going to be a tough game. Like we just said, now they're coming home October 5th to play Clemson. Uh, obviously DJU, this is going to be his, his big game against the formal team. Uh, Kate Klubnick's still there for Clemson. Thankfully, Will Shipley is gone. God, I couldn't stand seeing him one more play. He was so good. I, he's one of the few Clemson players I've ever respected. He's very good. Um, unfortunately, idiot Dabo is still there. So we'll have to deal with him again, but I, uh, Going on the road to SMU and then coming home for Clemson, that's a tough back-to-back. Yeah. Um, I, I still see Florida State coming out on top of this game, but it's going to be close. I think this could be this could easily be a three- to seven-point game. So after that, we're going to have a the second bye week of the season. So a little bit of a break after the tough back-to-back. Then we're coming back on a Friday night, which you know I love Friday night conference games and Thursday night conference games. These are when shit happens, and uh, nothing good happens here. Uh, Friday, October 18th at Duke. Um, Duke obviously lost Mike Elko. Um, they are bringing in Manny Diaz, which I am i don't really fear him as a coach. He was terrible at Miami. Then he went on to be the uh, D.C. at Penn State, and now he's back as the head coach of Duke. Uh, Riley Leonard obviously is gone, so it is a much different Duke team. But like I said, that stuff doesn't matter on a weeknight conference game. It's you throw everything out and you just hope in these games. Yeah, I'd be a little bit more concerned about this game if you guys didn't have the bye week to be able to catch your breath after the Clemson game. Hopefully you're coming off of a win and then Norville's got 13 days from the Clemson game to the Duke game to get those guys ready to go. Um, always a little scary going into a Friday night game just because the atmosphere feels a little bit different, but between the fact that you guys have that extra time off between those games and the fact that you've got Manny Diaz instead of Elko, no Riley Leonard, there's a, there's a lot of shifting going on, on a uh, Duke side of the equation. So I don't see them being as good as they were this year. Uh, obviously they tailed off a little bit towards the end of the season, but they're in the beginning and middle part of the year. They were a really good football team. So um, I, I see them regressing a little bit until Diaz gets an opportunity to put his system in place. Now, given that we've seen what Diaz has done with previous programs, so it's probably not a concern in general, but uh, first years are always the most tough on coaches, right? So um, I, I don't foresee the Duke game uh, being too much of a concern. It's on the road. That's the only thing that kind of sucks for Florida State. But again, I think because of the fact that you guys are getting that extra time to be able to prep for the game should be a W. Yeah, and with that being a Friday night, it actually builds in an extra day. So the the following Saturday, October 26th, is uh, one of the games I look forward to every year. It's at Miami. Um, obviously, it'll be Doak South. We'll take over their stadium. But road game at Miami versus a guy that I was really hoping was going to be our quarterback, Cam Ward, if he's still healthy at that point. Um, that's that's going to be a big one. I, I That's, well... Them and Notre Dame are probably the two most threatening when it comes to what the betting line will be. I would assume we're still going to be a favorite at Miami. Uh, we might be an underdog at Notre Dame. I, I don't know. I guess it kind of depends how the season goes, but uh, I, I still like us to win in Miami. 
Yeah, same. Uh, it's going to be another road game, so I think that makes it a little bit tougher. Uh, but all things considered, that should be a W. Uh, so then we're going to return home and play North Carolina with, on November 2nd, which Drake May will be gone finally. Uh, Mac Brown is still there. Um, but I don't think North Carolina – we've actually had quite a bit of success against North Carolina recently over the last few years anyway. So I, I think we're going to be all right in that one. Yeah. Yeah, North Carolina is going to look much different. I mean, they still have uh, Mac there, but I don't know who's coming in to to supplant Drake May. Um, again, that's another high-powered offense, but you guys have those those guys at home, which I think definitely helps, especially with the week the game that you guys have coming up the week after that. So, yeah. So uh, November 9th, the week later, is uh, at Notre Dame. That's going to be a big one. Um, I don't even. The last time we won at Notre Dame was probably. Hmm. 2003, maybe 2002. I remember Crafonzo Thorpe having a big game. <laughs> That's about all I remember, <laughs> which uh, I couldn't tell you what year that was, but Crafonzo Thorpe, I remember scoring a touchdown. That's about all I remember. And it was, it had to be 2002 or three, somewhere around there. Uh, obviously this is going to be a big game. We'll see what Notre Dame, Notre Dame. We talked about Riley Leonard and we talked about Duke. He will be their quarterback now. Um, uh, we'll see how they rebuilt. Um, obviously, they needed to improve some skill position. Defense is still pretty good. They they are always going to have a good offensive line and defensive line, so that's obviously something you always have to worry about. But um, overall, I I still think this is a game we're going to contend in, and I don't fear them at all. I like I said, I, this is probably the one where I would say we might not be a favorite, but it wouldn't surprise me if we ended up even a small favorite in this one. Yeah, I think this is probably going to be a game that the line's going to be relatively close, but I think Florida State may end up taking control of the game there, you know, towards the end of the game, fourth quarter. Um, the real question is, is is the Workman-Carter tandem going to be rejoined for this game? Hopefully. It's- <laughs> we'll have to see. Hopefully. I'm, I may have to make a trip. I'm going to have to buy some Florida State gear and, and fight some Notre Dame fans, but well, it see, was- see if we can get Carter's stepdad to come with us too. <laughs> when we went a few years ago it was the coldest damn thing i've ever felt it was so cold uh, god it was freezing and florida state was terrible uh, it was not good was it in november um, yeah it was freezing um so november 16th will be the third buy of the season and then november 23rd we're rolling uh charleston southern into town which is our local team here um for those of you that don't know uh charleston southern is about uh their football stadiums, I can probably be there in five minutes, to be honest. I live pretty close to it. So it's uh they're not good. So this should be an easy blowout. This is one of those games where hopefully the starters only play for about the first quarter and we get no injuries. That's all you really have to worry about in a game like this. Um, then obviously the big one at the end, November 30th, it is a home game. We're gonna play Florida. We're gonna go over Florida's schedule in a little bit just because it's gonna make a lot of sense why I don't fear this game at all. Um but for now, we're just going to keep it pretty simple. Uh, I, I think we're going to be okay in this one. Kind of, we beat Florida the last couple of years too, and I there, I I think Billy Billy Napier might be fired by the time this game even happens. To be honest, but if he does make it, this will be his last game. Yeah i I will be very surprised if see if he still has his job by the time this happens. I know that we're going to cover Florida's schedule, but. I just talked about Florida State schedule in the center of their their uh you know November or October was it October being October. rough. 
it is nothing compared to what Florida is going to have to deal with next year. I, I'll be surprised <laughs> yeah. if Florida ends up above 500. And then obviously uh, December 7th, uh, the ACC championship game is in Charlotte, North Carolina, and hopefully we are in that. Uh, difference this year, if we win that, uh, they can't screw us because there's an auto bid to the 12-team invitational if you win the conference. So you have at least that going for us. Um, one thing I do want to kind of mention, and obviously we're going to get into this a little bit more in the preseason, but I think we might need to watch out for SMU as a as a sneaky team to make the 12 team invitational, to be honest. I, I think they're I think they're really good. Um when we get preseason and more into that, I know we've talked about Boise State a little bit and um Missouri. Well, yeah, Missouri. Who was the Boise State? Who was the other group of five? Boise State and uh I don't remember who it was, but there were two group of five teams. Oh, Tulane. It was Tulane. We talked about them and how how good that they were and how they uh, they should both be candidates for the 12-team invitational next year as an at-large. Uh, so some pretty big news that's going to tie into the NFL also, but uh, Michigan, obviously Jim Harbaugh has left to go to the Chargers. Uh, offensive coordinator Sharon Moore has replaced him. I'm just going to do a quick run-through of their schedule just because there are some interesting things here um starting the year on august 31st home against fresno uh fresno is a team we talk about all the time on here and they're no they're a team you don't want to sleep on uh, especially with a brand new coach brand new quarterback uh that's that's not really a situation that i would really want to be coming into uh what are your thoughts on fresno to start the year in ann arbor uh, it's definitely not the the cupcake game that i typically assume is going to happen with these bigger teams in their first week um Fresno's tough, man. I mean, you, I know more about Fresno state football than I ever thought I would because of your fandom with them. And they're a program that always finds a way to put points on the board. Um, it is Michigan though. Michigan's going to be bringing back, uh, some decent players. They're going to be bringing in some decent players. There's going to be very minimal turnaround, uh, because of more getting the, the head coaching job. He's already been an interim coach for a couple games. So they already know what that feels like. Uh, so I, I doubt that there's there's going to be much of a misstep on Michigan's part uh, transitioning away from Harbaugh, uh, but not a it's not a gimme game that's for sure. It's not Arkansas State, which they get two weeks from there in homecoming. Right, and and the reason why I think it's more sneaky than what people think. Obviously, Fresno is a good program, but uh, week two, September seventh, they play Texas. So. I think a lot more focus. This is your typical look ahead. Like I, I think they look ahead to Texas. And Fresno gives them a hell of a game. Like I, I'm interested to see. Obviously, we won't get it for a little bit, but I'm really interested to see what that line's going to be for Fresno, Michigan to start the year because, uh, like, if it's over 17, I think it's Fresno. I think Fresno can keep this within 17. So, especially with the look ahead spot at Texas next week. Uh, so obviously we just said September 7th, Texas. Do you have any thoughts on that one? I, that's going to be one of the biggest games of the year. That's going to be, yeah, I was going to say, that's going to be one of the biggest games of the year. Uh, Michigan's advantages is in Ann Arbor, uh, but Texas is bringing back a lot. That's, that's not going to be a gimme game. And just like we've talked about with the Florida schedule, there's, there's a few games on Michigan schedule that look a little rough. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we get to the end of this and they have two losses. I still think that puts them into the the twelve man invitational, but <clears throat> yeah, the one the one benefit that I see for them is they have a ton of home games. They barely play on the road. Um, obviously, they have two big ones on the road, but they they don't play on the road much. 
Yeah. Um, so their, obviously their first, what five games are at home. Yes. So we're going to skip over no, September 14th. After they play Fresno and Texas, they got Arkansas state. That shouldn't be a problem. But then, uh, September 21st, we got USC followed by September 28th, uh, Mr. Row the boat. So I think this is, those are again, two back-to-back tough games. I, I, I don't think that's anything to sleep at. And we're going to follow that up with their first road trip, October 5th to Washington, like, USC, Minnesota, Washington after Fresno and Texas. Uh, I, and, and then they're at Illinois on the road, which yeah, big, big 10 conference game on the road for Michigan. I mean, that's not a shoe in. Yeah, I mean, I think I honestly think there's a loss in there. Like, I think they lose one of those games. I don't. And if they lose one of the, if they were to lose to Fresno, I think they lose two of those games. Uh, yeah. So we got the buy on October 12th after they go to Washington. Then they're coming or they're going to Illinois, like you just said, October 19th. Home against Michigan State on the 26th. Uh, and then home against Oregon, November 2nd. So obviously another huge one. So they're playing USC, Washington, and Oregon this year, which is all huge. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Oregon Michigan game? It's in Ann Arbor, but I think this uh I, I think these Pac-12 teams in general, but specifically Oregon and Washington, are gonna come in feeling like they have something to prove. And I think they're going to shell shock some of these Big Ten teams in this first year because they're they're a lot of these teams are familiar with each other, and Pac-12's big thing is the offense, right? Like they put points on the board, and on the Big Ten side of the equation, a lot of times it's more often than not defense, right? So like they may have a game where they they win seventeen to three against Illinois, but they only put up seventeen points. They're not going to be able to do that with teams like Washington and Oregon. These teams are going to put up thirty-five on you, regardless of how good your defense is, more often than not. And because they don't have the tape on these guys, they're not familiar with these programs as much. I I, I think Pac-12 in general, these Pac-12 teams that are now in the Big Ten are going to shake up a lot as we move into this upcoming season. Yeah, and and even with that, like I think USC too. They're often they're not they have weapons everywhere on offense that Big Ten teams aren't used to seeing. Now, obviously, yeah. they're going to have to improve their defense, but still, like that's another just offensive juggernaut that's going to come in. Uh, speaking, speaking of speaking of, offense, of yeah, offense. I was just saying, <laughs> after uh, after the Oregon game, they're going to be on the road in Bloomington uh, to play IU. Um, uh, IU obviously brought in uh, Coach Sig from James Madison. He had a great season there. Um, IU did bring in some portal guys, but I don't. They're kind of a to be determined. We'll see what happens with IU. I do trust their coach, but from there, we'll see what happens with the talent. Uh, then they got a bye week, and they're going to play Northwestern at home. November 30th, they're going to the shoe to play Ohio State. They could potentially have. I could say they could have three losses, honestly, going into this game. They're I was pretty, just, yeah, I was just going to say, um, th- I don't. I will be extremely surprised if Ohio State lets this game go away because they they're due a win. Uh, if I'm Michigan, I don't want to come into this game with two losses. And it may be difficult to do that, but they they may end up lo- they may may end up in the regular season with three losses. Oh, I think they could even end up with four with Ohio State. Potentially, yeah, potentially four because <clears throat> I mean, logistically speaking, let's say they do manage to get through Fresno State, w- which is not a shoe in game, to get wins over. Texas and USC at home, then on the road with Washington, then back at home with Oregon, then Ohio State. I mean, 
that's <laughs> tough, man. I, I wouldn't, I, I would not be surprised if Michigan enters two to three losses. I still think that potentially puts them into the 12 team, but they're, they may have to win a big 10 championship in order to make that happen. I don't know how that's going to happen. I haven't seen what the alignment looks like now that we've added all these big, these pack 12 teams in. Uh, I mean, it's basically just top two teams from who, but by win record. So, okay. It's, so, it's basically going to benefit uh, more than likely. I think Oregon, I think Oregon's schedule was pretty good. So, but yeah, I, so let, well, I think we'll have to dig into this a little bit more to see the rest of these schedules, yeah. see what Washington, Oregon, USC, some of these teams are looking like. Uh, I think we looked at Ohio State's schedule uh, last week or the week before last. It's favorable. It's favorable for Ohio State. So Ohio State could logistically lose that last game of the season and still make their way into the Big Ten Championship or and or potentially the 12 team. Yeah. Uh, Michigan is not going to be able they're not going to be able to mail in this season, man. This is this is a tough schedule for them. Yeah. And Ohio State, obviously, like we talked about with the portal rankings, they brought in some pretty big name guys to help them get a little better with obviously the one of probably the best player in college football, Caleb Downs. So um, we'll see. I, I do think this is the year Ohio State probably comes back on top of them. Um, but we'll see. Uh, Ryan Day's got a lot to prove this year. All right, so that is Michigan. I'm just going to quickly go through the Florida schedule real quick. We're not really going to go game by game, but I'm just it, this was more of just to show that this is the most difficult schedule in the nation. It's not even close. And this team is not good. Uh, Billy Napier is not a good coach. So for a not good team and a not good coach to have this schedule, I'm uh, this is the win total more than any I want to see. I want to see their win total. And I'll give a prediction once we go through the schedule. But so Miami to start the year. Uh, Samford, who thank God they have that because they're going to get a win there. Um, Texas A&M. Then they're at Mississippi State. Then they've got a bye. Then they play UCF at Tennessee, home against Kentucky. And then the most much needed buy in the history of college football. Uh, then they're going to go cocktail party with Georgia at Texas, LSU, Ole Miss at Florida State. Whew. Um, if they win four games, I'm going to be shocked. Yeah. I think the I think the win total is three and a half. I think they beat Samford. UC, uh, UCF is going to be tough. And maybe Kentucky, since it's at home, that's only three. Hell, maybe it's two and a half win total. Jesus. They're going to be coming back from a game at Rocky Top, and they don't get a break. I don't know if that Kentucky game's a win. And well, then, think, they, then they go in to lick their wounds for two weeks before they get absolutely demolished by Georgia. Yeah, by everyone, all those yeah. teams. Can they? <laughs> we're going to see midseason transfers coming out of the Gators left and right once they hit that. <laughs> Georgia, Texas, LSU, Old Miss, Florida State. That's that's rough. And that's why I said the Florida State game to me is an easy win because those guys are going to be so beat up after that that I, I just don't see how they can put up a fight in that one. But Yeah, and think about the how are they going to come out of this gauntlet healthy? Like, it's it's not easy to keep your team healthy when you're just like going through the motions and playing the the standard teams that are up to the same caliber of of talent that you are. When you're looking at uh, they, Georgia, Texas, LSU, old Ben. By the time they get to Florida State, they're probably going to be on their four string quarterback. Like <laughs> I, I don't. It's going to be a rough year for Gator fans. Could I mean, it's a rough it's a rough year every year because your team sucks. But yeah, I threw that in for you, buddy. We appreciate it. <laughs> uh, so, 
as we transition from college to NFL, uh, there's only one real way to transition, and that's the draft. So Mel Kuyper has released his uh, first uh, mock draft of the year. I'm going to quickly just go through this. Obviously, we'll stop at a few of the big ones, like number one, uh, the Bears. He does have Caleb Williams. We had a discussion just a few weeks ago on here with everyone if you would trade Justin Fields or if you would keep Caleb Williams. Uh, I don't. I, I know I was one that said draft Caleb and get rid of Justin. I don't. I might have been the only one to be honest. I don't really remember, but I know everyone else was pretty big on keeping Justin Fields. Uh, what were your thoughts on that? I've been a proponent of keeping Justin Fields since this conversation started for multiple reasons. One, by all accounts, Caleb is a better prospect than what Fields is, but that doesn't always translate to the NFL. There's there's a slew of quarterbacks that you can mention that had tremendous talent heading into the NFL and it just never translated well into the NCAA. You know what you get with Justin Fields. And it's also pretty clear in my eyes for the first three seasons that Fields has been on the, on the team that they need more talent around him. And they started doing that with DJ Moore, but he still doesn't have a run game. Their offensive line is horrible. Their defense started picking things up a little bit on the back half of the season, but he's trying to do everything all on his own. And We've seen that happen with with the most talented quarterbacks time and time again. You need support around you. I think knowing what you have with Justin Fields, the bounty that you can get by trading the number one pick, I think you can take talent and put around Justin Fields, and they're going to be better off than trading because I don't think they're going to get that much for Justin Fields. That's the other part of the equation is like I've seen these – I've seen mock draft or mock trades and mock trades are mock trades. So it's all bullshit when you really think about it. But I mean, there's people that are coming out there saying that they're going to get a second round pick for Justin Fields. Like I, I don't, I think, yeah, I think it'll be a late first or a second. I, that's what I think they can get for him. So the option one is to get that late first or a second and, and pick Caleb Williams and roll the dice, or you keep Justin Fields trade that first pick for, I don't even know what the amount of picks in, players package they'll be able to get they'll be able to work something out that's huge i think that's going to have a greater impact on the organization as a whole than trading justin fields and taking caleb williams could be wrong i was like i'm just i I just feel the opposite and one of the reasons is because justin fields is about to be new contract also so you get you lose that benefit of the rookie deal where he's cheap for five years which for the bears could be huge if they can bring some free agents in with him um and i just think we've seen like I don't know. I just feel like for that franchise to to move on, I feel like Fields has to be gone. Like I, I, I respect. I hell, he runs all over us. Like I've said, he doesn't throw the ball very well. Um, but I, I still feel. I think I said um, trade Justin Fields, see what you can get for him. Draft Caleb Williams, and then with that next pick, draft Roma Dunze or a good receiver like that, and you've immediately got quite the weapons. You got Williams, Adunze, and DJ Moore. Obviously, you're still going to need a running back, but in the NFL, I mean, sign someone, let them do something. I, I think they were dumb to get rid of Montgomery, but clearly he still had plenty left in the tank. But I uh, I think running backs can be taken over anywhere in the NFL. Um, but yeah, Justin, I, I feel like would be a late first, early second. If it's not that, then yeah, it's kind of a disaster. But I, I still think that some team would be willing to do that. Maybe even like a, uh, maybe I'm looking like a at a, Seattle. Maybe I don't, I don't. 
Seattle's a possibility. I think the best landing spot, and this has been talked about quite a bit, is Atlanta for Justin. If that if that's going to happen, um, but you also have like we've got Washington sitting at two and New England sitting at three. What if New England sees the potential in? Let's say they shop the number one pick. New England sees the potential in wanting to grab Caleb Williams above Jaden Daniels uh, or the two pick, and then they swap and go from one to three, move down, pick up one additional first-round pick, maybe one or two second-thirds. I mean, the totality of that impacts. Tampa won a Super Bowl with Trent Dilfer, right? But they did that because they had so much talent on that team. And if they can yeah. – if they can if they can parlay this number one pick into five impact players on both sides of the ball, I think that's going to have a better overall impact on the bears organization. than it would be for them to go with Caleb and roll the dice, but we'll yeah, see what happens. It'll be interesting to see. I obviously, I, I think that they, one of their main things is they, they want to try to keep their fans happy too. And I know it's kind of split some love field, some don't. So yeah, uh, that's where I kind of just go with the, maybe, maybe the new blood is the best thing to do. Uh, so number one was Caleb Williams to the Bears. Uh, number two, the Commanders, Jaden Daniels from LSU. Um, commanders do not have a coach yet. Obviously, there was some huge news today regarding that, but we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, uh, this is kind of tough because we don't know who their coach is going to be. Yeah. Um, you would probably have to assume it's going to be a defensive coach. I would say maybe AG from Detroit or uh, Mike. What the hell is it? Mike McDonald from Baltimore. I would assume those are probably the two favorites at this point. Um, uh, Jaden Daniels is good. I'm I'm not sure I like him here, though. Um, I feel like that's kind of early, but that's what it is. What are your thoughts on Jaden Daniels at two? I agree. I think it's early. Uh, I think this is one of those situations where teams roll the dice and end up getting bit. Um, I think Jay, I mean, I was, uh, I was, I had a five minute speech on why I thought Jaden Daniels should win the Heisman this year over, uh, Bo Nix or, or anybody else. Um, I, I think he's a talented player, but I don't know if he's NFL ready. Uh, it's a different, if it, it's a different experience to create that much offense in the NFL versus college ball. Um, that, that team relied so heavily on Jaden Daniels. He's going to need some talent around him, or he's going to end up in a similar situation to Kyler and some of these other guys where he ends up hurt and he can never really get over it. And I, I don't know that I can see this being an RG three situation yeah. for Washington. He's got a ton of talent, but he comes in and he can't keep healthy because he's constantly on his back. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, number three, the Patriots, Drake may quarterback, North Carolina. Um, speaking of teams that need to put talent around their players, uh, they've got to put some offensive weapons on this team. They they have nothing. Um, obviously, Drod Mayo coming in to be the new head coach. Uh, he's defensive or yeah, defensive though. So I, I'm not sure what we look forward to yet in the offense. Kind of a little early for this. Uh, Drake May is one of those guys. He got a lot of hype in college, but obviously my favorite teams in the same conference of him. I watched him a lot, and I was never like I was never blown away by him. So. Again, I feel like this is kind of a risky pick, especially at three. Yeah, I I think once you get past Caleb Williams, it's risky regardless. Um, 
there's a lot of quarterback talent in this draft, but there's still a lot of question marks around all these guys. I think Drake may makes the most sense for the Patriots, but I, I still think that this is very much up in the air because of the fact that they don't have an offensive coordinator yet. So I think there's, that's going to kind of shape that now he's easily, in my opinion, the third best quarterback in the draft. So if that's where they need to land, that's what's going to happen. Um, because I think the talent falls off a little bit once you hit Drake. The nice thing about him is he does bring some some dual threat capabilities. He's got he's I think six three six four, so he's got he's got a pretty solid frame. He'll be able to uh, to take some licks there at the beginning of the year. I think he's definitely more talented than Mac Jones or Bailey Zappi. So I don't think there's a question there. But um, yeah, I, I think there's still a lot up in the air with with New England and where they're going to head with their offensive coordinator. And I think that'll potentially shape things a bit. So at number four, um, Kyler Murray, obviously quarterback in Arizona, they've got a weapon for him. Marvin Harrison jr. Coming out of Ohio state. Uh, you got anything on that? I think in the next five to 10 years, we maybe look back on this draft and say that he's the most talented player to come out of this draft. So big pickup for Arizona. If they can get him. It's funny. You said that because the next pick to me, with Harbaugh, I think is I think could be. I was literally going to say that for this. I, I think this could be the sneaky one. So the Chargers, Brock Bowers, tight end from Georgia. Um, I feel like the way Harbaugh plays and the way he likes to play, I think the tight end is going to be huge there. And Bowers is going to be a weapon that can just go anywhere on the field and play. Like I, I think he could be very good. Uh, yeah. Pair him with Herbert. Like I, I don't know. I, I feel like there's a lot of promise there, and I feel like that would be a home run pick. Yep, I 100% agree with that. I think this is the perfect spot for Brock Bowers. Uh, Justin Herbert needs some additional support there. Gerald Everett, I think, had a uh, uh, he's he's had a little bit of an uptick in the past couple of years, and I think it's because Justin Herbert's the quarterback there, and he's made Everett the best that he can be for his talent level. Uh, bringing Brock Bowers in here, especially if he can stay healthy, because that's another thing that LA's yep. had a problem with is keeping their receivers healthy. Uh, if Brock Bowers can stay healthy. He's he's going to be up there in the conversation with with uh, with Kelsey and some of these other guys for best tight ends in the league. Uh, so number six, uh, the New York Giants got Malik Neighbors, wide receiver from LSU. Uh, Malik was an absolute stud for Jaden Daniels at LSU. Uh, very fast, very very fast. Obviously, the Giants do need some weapons. Um, you got anything on him? Can Daniel but Jones get him the ball? Like. Yeah, that's the thing. I don't even know. Like, who's going to be their quarterback? We don't even know. There's going to be well, the, yeah. cut, the cutlets. Like, I mean, we don't see anyone. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, I mean, the last time that they had the conversation when Daniel Jones was out for the season, the the Giants pretty much said that they were they were planning on moving on with him or moving on from him. So, yeah, I mean, what do you do here? I I just I don't fine with me because as a Cowboys <laughs> fan, I don't want the Giants to do well, but I also don't want Malik Neighbors' first four or five years of his career to go down the drain and. If I'm him, I don't want to land in New York with the situation they have right now in offense. Right, and and pairing him with uh, Jalen Hyatt, Hyatt was a from Tennessee last year, another rookie from last season. I th- they would off, be off to a good start there. Just they do need a, some someone to throw the ball. Obviously, they're yeah. probably going to lose Saquon, so they're going to have some issues on offense. Yep. Uh, we'll kind of go faster through a few of these. So Tennessee, uh, we got Joe All, offensive tackle from Notre Dame. Um, that fits the mold for Tennessee, even without. Yep. Rable, that's about what you expect. Uh, the Falcons, Dallas Turner, often or sorry, outside linebacker from Alabama. Uh, the Bears with their second pick at number nine, and well, I didn't read this before, but they uh, 
literally have the exact same thing I said. Uh, Roma Dunze, wide receiver from Washington. So uh, currently Kuiper and I kind of have the same thoughts right now on what Chicago should do. Um, he said that the other person he could see here would be Layatu Latu from UCLA, which is an edge rusher. Um, so obviously then they would have Caleb on the offense and a defensive end on defense. That would help both sides of the ball. Um, I love Roma Dunze. Clearly, if you listen to our college show, he was talked about every week. Um, I, I, I know some people don't want to hear this, but I think he's better than Marvin Harrison Jr. I think he was the best receiver in college football. Obviously, those were the two best receiver rooms in college football when it comes to Washington, Ohio State. Um, Adunze, I mean, part of it might be who was throwing him the ball and the fact that it was the most accurate passer I've ever seen in my life, but Rome was always there. Um, he was very good, and I would absolutely hate to see him on the Bears. Yeah, 92 catches for 1650, 13 touchdowns, and I mean... Th- the, he can play outside and inside, which I think is an important indicator for the Bears. They're going to be able to move him around similar to how Dallas does with C.D. Lamb. He can be just as impactful on the outside as he is. You line him up into a slot. Um, and I think that that safety valve, that slot receiver, if you have a good solid slot receiver that's built right, uh, can be used similarly to uh, a solid tight end. Um so yeah, I think Adunze is a perfect fit for this role, regardless of whether it's Justin Fields or if it's a rookie quarterback. Playing yeah, I agree. One, yeah. Um, the Jets are at number ten. We got Olu Fashanu, offensive tackle from Penn State. Uh, number eleven, we got Nate Wiggins, cornerback from Clemson. I always love when Clemson players travel to be rivals in the NFL. Also, it's one of my favorite things. So they can continue to suck. Um. Obviously, one of the questions for the Vikings is going to be, is Kirk Cousins still there? I, I don't think he will be. So it's going to be a lot of interesting things going on in Minnesota. Um, uh, so we just talked about him. Uh, for the Broncos, number 12, uh, Liatu Latu, outside linebacker from UCLA. Uh, good edge rusher um, coming out of the Pac-12. Um, he's pretty much a force. He's very good. Um, Denver. Obviously, they need a lot. Uh, a lot of rumors that uh, Russell Wilson's going to be leaving, going to the Raiders. So we'll see if that follows through. Um, but that is the rumor for right now. And who will end up being their quarterback? Because they could be a team that, um, I mean, I guess Kirk Cousins. Who was the other one you just said a few minutes ago? Free agent Kirk Cousins. And, uh, Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones, yeah. Uh, I don't think Sean Payton's going to bring Daniel Jones in. but So we'll no. obviously be looking to see what kind of quarterback we get in Denver. Uh, the Raiders, number 13, Terry and Arnold, cornerback from Alabama. Number 14, the Saints, Brian Thomas Jr., wide receiver, LSU, so he'd be staying home. Um, oh, this one is interesting to me. Uh, the Number 15, the Colts, Keon Coleman, wide receiver from Florida State. Uh, the Colts obviously do need a little bit of a better receiver. Coleman's huge, 6'4", 215. Um, he's pretty much shown he can be anywhere on the field and athletic as could be. He's, he's a stud. Um, pairing him with Anthony Richardson, I think would be a very good thing for Indianapolis. Uh, what are your thoughts on that one? I, I would be really interested to see what that offense looks like with, uh, Steichen being able to have Anthony Richardson, Michael Pittman, Keon Coleman, a healthy Jonathan Taylor, uh, Josh Downs showed some flash last year. Uh, by all accounts, I mean, man, I know we, I don't know what's going on with the coach of the year stuff, but Steichen. Like he did a tremendous job making the most possible out of that team, adding another threat like Keon Coleman, man, 
is Michael Pittman's already got size. Having Michael Pittman and Keon Coleman as your one, two, like if I'm Anthony Richardson, I'm drooling all over that. Yeah, it does say that they he could get a big deal in free agency, so he might leave the team. But yeah, if they can bring him back and pair the two together, Jesus, that would be ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, he this, could step in and be the one if Pittman's not there. Yeah, true. I mean, he's got the size. That's what they're basically saying draft him as a replacement. Uh, so at 16, this one I find very interesting. Uh, J.J. McCarthy to Seattle. If I'm Seattle, why would I not draft the hometown? Well, he's not true hometown, but the kid who's been playing in Seattle the last two years, Michael Penix Jr., why would you not take him over J.J. McCarthy? I, I feel like McCarthy is a terrible pick. I, I'm dumbfounded that he's showing up in so many mock drafts where he's showing up. Yeah. I watched a good bit of J.J. McCarthy this year, man. I just wasn't that impressed. He protects yeah, protects the ball, but he doesn't have that many turnovers because they run the ball so much. I mean, I don't know. Well, and we're still, this is another team. We're still without a coach too. Um, obviously could be Dan Quinn, uh, could be AG still. I think even the Baltimore guys are potential here. Um, I just, I don't know. McCarthy to Seattle at 16 seems crazy to me. Number 17, Jacksonville. Uh, we got the white corner from Iowa, Cooper DeGene. Uh, he obviously was a stud punt returner, too, for them. Um, that's how most people know who he is. <clears throat> uh, 18, Cincinnati, J.C. Latham, offensive tackle, Alabama. Uh, this one would be awesome. Number 19 for the Rams, Jared Verse, defensive end from Florida State. Uh, you put Jared Verse with Kobe Turner and Aaron Donald. Uh, that's a stud D-line. That is that's very good. Yeah. Um, By Byron Young was a rookie last year too. He had a good season. Um, I think the Rams, I think we talked about it a few weeks ago. They have money to spend this year. They have draft picks and they still have a lot of talent. I think this will be a team that reloads very well and has a very good year next year. Uh, but I would love to see Jared verse go there. Uh, number 20 is the Steelers, Kamari Lasters, cornerback from Georgia, 21, the Dolphins, Troy, uh, Fau Tanu guard from Washington. Uh, oh Lord, we got them all here. Twenty-two, the Eagles, Talise, uh, Talise Fuaga, yeah, offensive tackle from Oregon State. Number twenty-three, Houston. This is a trade or a pick from Cleveland. I'm guessing from Deshaun, uh, Jerzon Newton, defensive tackle from Illinois. The Cowboys, number twenty-four, Jordan Morgan, offensive tackle from Arizona. One of uh, Noah Fafita's big protectors last year. What do you think of the Cowboys doing an offensive tackle in the first round? Uh, I mean, so long as we don't have a draft like we did last year, uh, Mozzie Smith didn't work out. We Schoonmaker did not work out to we, I mean, we burnt a draft pick on a 25 year old tight end that we didn't need. I've been a proponent and a huge fan of Jake Ferguson for a while. So I'm not real sure all we did. What we did there. Uh, we do need to find Zach Martin's under contract, but he's 33. Tyron Smith's also 33 and he's not on contract And Ty, Tyron Smith cannot keep healthy. I hope that we keep him because he is very much in a lot of ways bleeds Dallas blue. He's the prototypical offensive lineman that has been repeated time and time again with the franchise, but I don't know. Offensive tackle is not flashy. We typically go best player available. Um, but last year we went with Mozzie Smith, who was not the best player available. So if we, if we fill a void, we fill a need, that's fine. Um, we're going to have to keep an eye on Demarcus Lawrence because he's getting he's starting to get up there in age. We can start seeing a little bit of tie off there. 
Um, I think it's very clear that we need some help in the wide receiver room. Uh, is I'm a, you, you and I are both huge fans of Michael Gallup. He kind of fell off this year. Brandon Cooks didn't get utilized as much as I would have liked to seen. Uh, CD needs help. And J- Jerry did come out today and say that they are going all in in 2024. So what what that means, I have no idea because it's Jerry. He's just talking because right now Dallas isn't in the news. So let me say something that's going to create right. a little bit of buzz, right? That's what Jerry does. But he, the way that he framed it is that we are going all in for 2024. So I am going to assume that he's going to be more aggressive than usual in free agency, knowing that McCarthy's on an expiring contract. Dak is not going to get extended. And we've got two big guys that are going to need to get paid soon. And CD Lamb and Micah Parsons amongst a slew of other guys. Deron Bland has played himself into a better contract. Trevon Diggs, uh, he's locked down right now, but he's going to have a contract coming up short, sooner than later. Uh, there's going to be a lot of movement in Dallas. Um, I don't, th- this isn't the pick for me, but we're at 24. So some, right. some of the other guys I'm interested in, we don't really have a big need for. Um, I, I do like the dude that is, is picked for green Bay next just because of his size. And that is, uh, from the storm and Mormons, BYU Kingsley, Sua Mataya, uh, these, the Packers pick at 25. He's 6'6". Uh, started 23 games for BYU over the past two seasons. 12 at right tackle, 11 at left tackle. Um, so obviously he can play both. Um, and they have him going there because Bakhtiari is basically done. So replacement for him. 26, Tampa Bay. Chop Robinson, defensive end from Penn State. Number 27, Arizona. Tyler Guyton, offensive tackle from Oklahoma. Number 28, Buffalo, the Bills, Adani Mitchell, wide receiver from Texas, who had a great year. Um, a little bit more firepower for the Bills offense. A uh, team that definitely needs a receiver, the Chiefs. Number 29, Troy Franklin, wide receiver from Oregon. Uh, the Lions, 30, uh, Quinion Mitchell, corner from Toledo, which obviously corner is a need for us, whether we get it in free agency or the draft. Action, and baby. 31, uh, Baltimore, uh, NS Rake Shaw Jr., corner from Missouri. He actually had an injury. I do know that. So he'll be coming off of an injury. And then 32, the 49ers, uh, Marius Mims, offensive tackle from Georgia. So obviously they just boost in their own line. So that does wrap up the first mock draft from Mel Kuyper. A little bit of interesting things in there. Um, the, bi- the big thing I took away from this on this first round from for Mel is for as deep of a, re- of a receiver class is what this is this year. We had one, two, three, four. We had six cornerbacks, six CBs going around one. That's, that's a lot. That's a lot. I think there were only four receivers, maybe five, but Oh no, there was, there was a few at the end. I forgot about the guys, their little run at the end with the chiefs and uh, bills. Oh, well, that uh, that pretty much wraps up all of the college stuff for this week. Uh, with the draft transition, we're into the NFL now, so let's move on to NFL. Yeah, we're at fifty-five minutes already too. We should have just done our own uh, NCAA episode, but <laughs> no, you guys are gonna have to stick with us here. Uh, all right, let's jump into some NFL stuff here uh, as we transition from the draft. Uh, last week's pick results: uh, Jake and I both went two and zero. Oh. Um, 
Texas and Scott both selected Detroit uh, to cover. So they went one and one and our buddy Carter went zero and two. That takes total records for the postseason. Uh, Jake, myself and Texas are sitting at seven and five. Scott and Carter are both sitting at five and seven. Uh, so we could all end up very close to that 500 mark, uh, depending on how things net out next week when we uh, have the guys come back on and pick their Super Bowl picks. Um, but let's jump into some league news here. So uh, first thing I wanted to pull up, the NFL has selected NFL veteran uh, Bill Vinovich to lead the officiating crew for the Super Bowl. This is going to be his third Super Bowl, and he will be joined by, amongst others, Terry Killens. He will become the first person to both play in and officiate a Super Bowl, which is pretty cool. Uh, he made one tackle on special teams for the Titans when they played the Rams back in 2000. Um, it is worth noting that Vinovich was the referee that did not throw the flag for defensive pass interference and a helmet-to-helmet penalty on Rams cornerback Nickel Roby Coleman on Saints receiver Tommy Lee Lewis late in the fourth quarter of the 2019 NFC Championship game. That non-call led to the game going to overtime and eventually resulted in the Rams winning and then subsequently winning a Super Bowl. So uh, nothing – I did a little bit of research on, on Vinovich – not anything hugely red flag there. That was the one thing that I that I saw that was noteworthy. Uh, all in all, it seems like they put together a pretty decent officiating crew. Uh, they've they've announced the entire list, but he was he's the one who's going to be leading that crew. Um, the the big topic here today is going to be the the coaching vacancies. So there's been a lot of movement at the head coaching vacancies in the past couple of weeks. So let's just go through a quick list here of first and foremost, who's been hired and then what we have remaining. Uh, Atlanta has hired former Rams DC Raheem Morris. So he is now the head coach for the Falcons. The Carolina Panthers have hired former Bucks offensive coordinator Dave Canales. Vegas, uh, as we already know, has promoted interim uh, head coach Antonio Pierce into the full-time head coach position. New England has also promoted linebackers coach Gerard Mayo to the head coaching position. That came out last week. Tennessee has hired formal, former Bengals offensive coordinator Brian Callahan. And uh, obviously, most importantly, was the biggest sh uh, shock, but I think we kind of saw this coming last week. Uh, Los Angeles Chargers have hired Michigan head coach Jim Harbaugh, and he is now back in the NFL. So we've got uh, several vacancies that are still uh, on the list here. Uh, head coach wise, uh, Washington and Seattle. So the commanders and the Seahawks are both still in search mode for the head coaching position, uh, from an offensive coordinator standpoint, uh, Carolina, uh, the chargers, uh, the Raiders, the Patriots, the saints, the bucks, the Titans, uh, are all on that list. Uh, Pittsburgh was on the list until earlier today. They have announced that they have hired former Falcons head coach Artie Smith as their next offensive coordinator. So that position is no longer available. On the DC side of the equation, Green Bay is in need. Uh, their guy has uh, announced that he is not returning. So Green Bay now has a vacancy there. Uh, obviously, the Chargers. Uh, the Rams are in need of a DC with Raheem Morris gone. Miami is in need of a DC with Vic Fangio leaving. He's now with Philly. Uh, the Giants uh, are in need of DC after Wink Martindale gave the middle finger to Debo. Uh, the Commanders obviously still need a DC. Uh, right now, the Commanders do not aren't technically listed as a need for OC for uh, the head coaching vacancy. That very well could change, uh, regardless of what happens. Because if they hire Bienemy and move him into the head coaching role, obviously there'll be a vacancy there. If they decide to go elsewhere beyond Binnemi, which right now it seems likely that they're considering that because of the amount of time they're taking, Binnemi may say, I don't want to be here anymore, or the head coach may say that I want to bring in my own coaching staff. Uh, 
One team that I did not note on the DC front is Buffalo. Uh, Buffalo announced today that Bobby Bobic, uh, Bobic is uh, has been promoted from linebackers coach to the DC. So that position is no longer available. So obviously we have a lot of teams that are still looking to hire. There's still a lot of names out there. Uh, so let's roll through some of these very quickly. And then we'll kind of talk about where we think we're going to land with some of these. Um, Lions DC, Aaron Glenn is still out there. Lions OC Ben Johnson, although uh, with a great joy from Mr. Workman over here is no longer available because he did announce today that he is no longer considering head coaching positions and that he is returning to Detroit. So uh, similarly to how Dan Quinn, I think felt about Dallas when he was looking at some head coaching positions, I think that he feels like there is still unfinished business with this Detroit team. Uh, They were one win away from being able to get to the Super Bowl. Ben wants to come back and finish that job. Uh, So he is sticking with Detroit. Aaron Glenn has not made that announcement. So he is uh, technically still out there as an option. Uh, Former, or excuse me, uh, Cowboys DC, Dan Quinn, Former Eagles OC Brian Johnson, uh, Bengals DC uh, Lou Anaramu, uh, Texans OC Bobby Slowick, who's had quite a few interviews but has not been hired yet, uh, Vikings defensive coordinator Brian Flores, his name has been out there, uh, Ravens DC Mike McDonald, which we've talked about a couple times on the show already, he's still out there and available, and he it looks like he's more than likely, I would guess, is going to land in either Seattle or Washington. Uh, there's not really a whole lot of information out there on that. Uh, just based on the amount of interviews that he's gone through, uh, his name has been one of the top ones uh, since all this stuff started. So I think that he could be potentially looking at one of those two head coaching pos- uh, positions. Uh, speaking of the Ravens coaching staff, though, their secondary coach, Denard Wilson, uh, is scheduled to interview with both the Packers and the Titans for their defensive coordinator position. And their receivers coach, Greg Lewis, is scheduled to interview for the, with the Saints for their offensive coordinator position. So the Ravens coaching staff may have a little bit of a shakeup there uh, by the time the, the, the off season's done uh, Panthers, DC, uh, Araijo Avero, who came from, I think Denver the previous year, he's, his name's been dropped out there. Uh, Dolphins offensive coordinator, Frank Smith. And then the big names uh, that I haven't mentioned yet are, uh, well, not necessarily a big name, but former uh, Chargers head coach Brandon Staley, uh, he is scheduled to interview for the Rams DC position, uh, and he could be uh, considered for one of the coordinator roles. And then we have the two big names left, which are Bill Belichick and Mike Vrabel. I'm really, really surprised. I want to get your thoughts on this. Um, Belichick seemed to really only focus his interview process on Atlanta. That, that seemed to be, by all accounts, where a majority of that discussion was being had. I haven't seen anybody dive in to try to interview Mike Vrabel. I don't get it. I, I don't understand why these why any of these teams haven't considered it. Um, I think he's a great fit for Seattle's culture. Uh, yeah, I don't want to see him Vrabel. in Washington uh, for my own selfish reasons as a Cowboys fan, but I think he's a fantastic fit for the culture of Seattle, that fan base will definitely rally around him. He's got that grittiness to him, which I think plays very well into the 12th man. Um, but I haven't seen anything on Vrabel, on Vrabel being considered. So I, what are your thoughts on that? Cause I don't, I don't really understand why he's not getting as much play. So selfishly, I'm actually holding out a lot of hope that AG gets a job and Vrabel is the lions D coordinator next year because Vrabel at MCDC would be the most hardcore Insane. coaching staff in the history of football. <laughs> yeah. Detroit's um, not going to have any walls left if that happens. Uh, no. It's going to be running um, through walls all day long. 
I would. So I would love that to happen. I love Vrabel. Um, I don't. I don't get it. Um, and with the Belichick thing, uh, it seems like Atlanta was the only team that even tried to get him. Like I don't think it was him. I think it was that was the only team that even. I. I, I mean, I get that he's old, and it's kind of like how do you bring in a guy if you think he's only going to be there a few years? But I, I feel like he needs to go to a team that's kind of already built. Um, kind of like a Seattle. Obviously, they're going to need a quarterback, but. I feel like the Chargers were the team for I, I think the Chargers were actually the team for Vrabel and Belichick, to be honest. If Harbaugh wasn't there, it'd been interesting to see who would have went there. So now they're both kind of I I mean, obviously I think I think Belichick's gonna be out for a year at the minimum. And then uh Vrabel, does he take a DC job? Like, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm interested to see there. But he he's the big one. I I think we're pretty safe to say at this point Bill's gonna be out for a year. Yeah, and, and that's on Bill's part, that's not great because he's already up there in age. Every year that passes where he's not a coach is just going to further push people away from even considering it. Selfishly, Jerry, step aside and let Belichick come in and run GM. That would be lovely. Um, I, I, I don't know, man. I don't, the Belichick thing makes way more sense to me than Vrabel. I don't, I don't understand. Maybe there's something underlying there that we're not aware of, but I don't see it by all accounts. It seemed like all the players enjoyed playing for him. He's a player's coach. So like, yeah, I think it's just a lot of franchises are afraid to go defensive. I I really think that's what it is. I, I think that those offensive minds have taken over the NFL so much that you can't bring them in as coordinators because then they just leave. Like that's our biggest fear in Detroit for the last couple of years. So you want to bring them in as the head coach because then they're not going to leave. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that makes sense, but yeah, still, still confusing. Um, yeah, definitely. Let's, let's, uh, touch base on a couple other, uh, hires. Uh, we went through a lot of the majority of the head coaching stuff. Obviously Raheem Morris got hired by the Falcons. Uh, they have hired Zach Robinson Rams QDB coach and passing game coordinator as their offensive coordinator. And then the Rams assistant coach, uh, Jimmy Lake is now their defensive coordinator, uh, off the bills, uh, news front is Joe Brady. He has been moved to full time after being the interim OC midseason. Uh, we already talked about the Carolina Panthers. Chicago Bears have hired Shane Waldron as their offensive coordinator and Eric Washington as their defensive coordinator. He's coming from Buffalo. Uh, the QB coach, uh, Kerry Joseph, is now in Chicago. He was formerly an assistant QB coach at Seattle. Uh, Cincinnati has replaced uh, their OC with Dan Pitcher. He was the QB coach there, so they kept that in-house. Uh, former Bills OC Ken Dorsey is now the offensive coordinator for Cleveland. Uh Falcons former uh, DC Ryan Nielsen is now the defense coordinator in Jacksonville. Uh, it looks like the Chargers have landed their GM in Joe Hort Hort Hortiz. Is that how you say it? Rams director of player personnel. Apologies, Joe, if I'm butchering your name there. Hortiz. Ortiz, there we go. Uh, on the Patriots front, they have uh, promoted their defensive line coach to Marcus Covington as the new defensive coordinator. So Gerard Mayo is still looking for his OC, but he has found his DC. A lot of movement in Philly's uh, coaching office. Uh, Kellen Moore is now the offensive coordinator. Vic Fangio has come from Miami. He's now the defensive coordinator for Philly. Uh, Clint Hurt uh, was the Seattle DC. He's now the line coach, uh, and he has brought with him. What was that name? Clint Hurt. <laughs> God damn. Yeah. That's our Beavis and Butthead moment of the episode. Yeah. Was, yeah. Clint Hurt. That's a great name. 
yeah, so he's now the D-line coach at Philly, and he brought with him uh, Mr. Carl Scott, who was an assistant in Seattle with uh, Mr. Hurt. Uh, we already talked about Artie Smith. He's now in Pittsburgh. Uh, hopefully that can uh, move that ship in the right direction away from Matt Canada even further. Uh, we already talked about Brian Callahan going to Tennessee and then Washington has found their GM. They have hired 49ers assistant GM Adam Peters for their GM role. So there's a lot of positions that are still open and available. Expect that to uh, kind of solidify here. And I would say the next week, we're probably going to see both Washington and Seattle's uh, roles filled. So uh, we'll keep an eye on that. We'll touch base on it next week um, before we jump into picks and all that fun stuff. One thing to throw in there, uh, McVay, Jesus Christ, between the guys he's had go as head coaches and the guys he's had go as coordinators, like history is going to be the biggest in the NFL history. Like, yeah, everyone gets a job under him. It's crazy. It's that, it's that Redskins thing, dude. Like that Redskins coaching staff. Yeah, it's nuts. It's nuts. Um, I think that speaks a lot to, to, to Sean McVay. I did see a um, I think maybe this was on SNL or there. I can't remember where it was at, but somebody was talking about uh, they, they pulled up some of these new head coaches are like fit and lean and everything. And then they're like, these are the coaches that I'm expecting. And they have this line of overweight coaches like Mike McCarthy and um, yeah. all these dudes. But then they had Sean McVay in the clip. And I was like, Sean McVay's built like a player. What the hell is this? And yeah. they, they just they, they found a, uh, a not so flattering photo and threw him up there. Um, I thought that was funny. I started huh. laughing at it, and then I tried telling something to to my wife about it, and she was like, "I don't know what you're talking about. And I don't care." Yeah, McVeigh is like ripped, like he's <laughs> yeah, he's he's a built dude. Yeah, they found one photo of him where he looks puffy, and they're like, "Let's throw this fat ass on here." I guess it's awesome. Yeah. All right, let's jump into some conference championship game recaps here. Um, in our first matchup of championship week, the Kansas City Chiefs beat the Baltimore Ravens 17-10 to in Baltimore to advance to Super Bowl 58. Uh, Baltimore got the ball first, uh, but a quick three-play, three-yard drive resulted in a punt, handing the ball to the Chiefs. On KC's first possession, a key fourth-down conversion extended the 10-play drive and allowed KC to eventually strike first on a Travis Kelsey 19-yard touchdown pass, putting the Chiefs up 7-zip. Baltimore returned the favor with their own big fourth down conversion on the next possession by way of a huge Lamar Jackson run and subsequent 30 yard touchdown grab by rookies, a flowers tying the game at seven KC then dominated the time of possessions with a 16 play nine minute drive that took them into the second quarter and culminated in a two yard touchdown run from Isaiah Pacheco on the ensuing possession. KC caused a fumble on a Lamar Jackson sack and recovered the ball, but couldn't convert it into points. Um, the team traded punts. And then just before half KC drove down the field, 55 yards in just under two minutes and secured a 52 yard field goal from Harrison Bucker, making it 17, seven at half. The story for the rest of the game was defense as both teams came out at half and really locked down on these otherwise potent offenses. Um, Baltimore had a big play to kick off their third possession of the half with the 50 yard, uh, 54 yard toss to Zay flowers that took them to the KC 25 before plays later on a second and eight with the ball in the nine yard line, fourth year corner, Legereus Sneed caused a fumble on an eight yard Zay flowers catch with the Ravens, uh, that gave the ball back to KC and killed Baltimore's chance to get the game within three. A stout defensive stand by the Ravens gave the ball back to Lamar Jackson, who put together another terrific drive of 74 yards. Unfortunately, that drive ended with a pass, uh, a potential pass to Isaiah likely that was intercepted by Casey's Devin Bush, once again, killing the Ravens momentum with just under seven minutes remaining. 
Casey went three plays the next drive and punted the ball. 21-yard punt return by Duvernay gave Baltimore decent field position, but they were only able to convert the opportunity into a field goal, bringing the game to its final score of 17-10. to Game ball here, in my opinion, goes to Casey's defense as a whole. Um, they managed to hold the sixth best offense in the regular season to just 10 points. Uh, Pat Mahomes had an extremely efficient game, finishing 30 to 39 for 241 in a score. Uh, Pacheco had 24 carries for 68 in a score. Travis Kelsey caught all 11 of his passes thrown to him for 116 and a touchdown. And he also broke Jerry Rice's record in the process for most receptions in postseason history. Lamar Jackson, meanwhile, was not nearly as efficient. He finished 20 of 37 for 272, a touchdown and a pick, while also leaving the team in rushing yards. Zay Flower was their big receiver, finishing with five catches for 115 in the score. Kansas City now moves on to their fourth Super Bowl in the last five years, while the Ravens head home disappointed after a 13 to 4 season. What were your thoughts on the game, and what do you think Baltimore needs to do to get over the hump of showing out in the regular season and then falling flat in the playoffs? Uh, you kind of said it. The Chiefs' defense was as impressive as it gets. Um, Spags, great performance. Um, I mean, kind of expected it going into the game, honestly. I, I feel like their defense has been so good. Um, uh, Kelsey came up big in moments that they needed him. Uh, and then uh, Baltimore, I just don't get their offense. Like, you have to run the ball somewhere. Like, Lamar's not your running back. I, I, they brought in Dalvin. They didn't even give it to him. Uh, what they have, I, I'd, I'd have to look and see carry wise. They barely had any carries. Like I'm looking it up right now. Yeah, I got you. Sixteen carries, eight for Lamar, three for Gus Edwards, two for Zay Flowers, their receiver, and three for Justice Hill. Like, how can that be your running game? Like, I, especially with a team as good on defense as the chiefs have been like, you have to do something against them other than that. So I think that was the key, the key to the game. Spags just brought it, said, beat us. They couldn't. And essentially outside of a big play early held them scoreless and late field goal. Yeah. I, I think this just goes to show you that talent is one thing, but experience is another. And this Kansas city team has so much experience and they're not afraid of big situations. At no point in time did you see this team panic at all uh, when this game was 17-10. Um, I, I just can't, I can't speak enough to Kansas City's defensive uh, prowess in this game to hold Lamar Jackson to what they did uh, is, is a huge, huge speak to, to Spags and what he was able to do against this, uh, this Baltimore team. Um We'll talk about this in more detail next week, obviously, when we preview the Super Bowl. But San Francisco, I think San Francisco's in trouble. Uh, this Kansas City team, this defense is just. Yeah, early. early he's going to. Uh-huh. Yeah. Early look ahead. It's kind of what my thoughts on how the Lions could win. And they honestly should have. But same yeah. same scenario. Yeah, let's uh let's dive into that. Just get it done and over with and rip the band-aid off here. So in our NFC championship showdown, the San Francisco 49ers beat the Detroit Lions 34 to 31, setting up a rematch of Super Bowl 45, where the Chiefs beat the Niners 31-20. A much more eventful high-scoring game than its AFC counterpart. This game is really a tale of two halves. Uh Detroit came out absolutely on fire, taking only four plays on the first drive of the game to strike first on the 42-yard touchdown pass to Jameson Williams. Uh, putting Detroit up seven zip. 
San Fran responded with a 12-play drive that set them up for a field goal, but Jake Moody sailed the 48-yard attempt wide right, giving the ball back to Detroit on their 30-yard line. They kept that momentum moving their way, this time with an 11-play drive that resulted in a David Montgomery touchdown, bringing the score to 14-0. San Fran responded in the form of an 8-play drive that resulted in a Christian McCaffrey touchdown run, bringing it to 14-7. Detroit's next possession stalled, giving the ball back to the Niners, but on the fifth play of the drive, Brock Purdy threw a pick to Malcolm Rodriguez on a pass meant for Debo Samuel. Detroit capitalized on that mistake, scoring on a Jameer Gibbs touchdown run and bringing the score to 21-7. A three-play, zero-yard drive from the Niners followed and allowed the Lions to tackle on another three points before half, bringing the score to 24-7 at halftime. Now, I'm going to pause here for a second because Workman and I were talking throughout a majority of this game, and we both had the exact same thoughts and concerns, was that what's going to happen when they come out at halftime? Is Detroit going to fall flat like they do a lot of times with third quarter, or are they going to be able to continue the momentum? Well, as I said here, the second half of the game was a different story. San Fran started the half with a nine-play drive, resulted in a field goal, brought the score to 24-10. On the next possession, Detroit went for a fourth and two that did not result in a conversion on an incomplete pass by Goff to Josh Reynolds. I'm going to touch base on Josh Reynolds here momentarily. The Niners capitalized, taking only five plays to go 72 yards on three big passes, the last of those being a six-yard touchdown grab by Brandon Ayuk, suddenly bringing the Niners within one score. The next play proved disastrous as a first and 10 run by Jameer Gibbs resulted in a fumble, handing the ball to San Fran on the Detroit 24. Four plays later, the Lion, or the Niners struck again on a run CMC touchdown, tying the game at 24 and virtually resetting the game to zeros. Detroit couldn't manage to get the ball moving, punting after three plays and handing the ball back to the Niners again. The next possession for San Fran went 11 plays for 65 yards in just over seven minutes, but only resulted in a field goal by Jake Moody. They did take the lead at that point, 27 to 24. Detroit looked like it woke up on the next drive, starting off with two big plays that converted into first downs, but eventually the drive stalled and on a fourth and three, an incomplete pass from golf to St. Brown handed the ball back to the Niners, who then took seven plays to drive 70 yards for a Mitchell touchdown, taking the score to 34-24 with just three minutes left in the game. Detroit made a last-second push and went 75 yards in just over two minutes, culminating in another Jamison Williams touchdown grab, bringing the score to 34-31 to with less than a minute remaining. Detroit attempted an onside kick but was unable to convert, handing the ball and subsequently the win to the 49ers with the final score of 34-31. to uh, Golf finished 25 of 41 with 273 and a touchdown. David Montgomery was the lead rusher, 15 carries for 93 yards and a score. Leading receiver was actually Sam Laporta. Had a really solid game, nine grabs for 97 yards. I do have a couple honorable mentions here. Uh, but before I jump into that, uh, on the Lions side of the equation, Brock Purdy didn't have that great of a game. He went 20 for 31 for 267, a touchdown in the pick. He did add 48 yards on the ground. Uh, CMC had 20 carries for 90 yards and two scores and also four catches. And Debo led the receiving crew with eight catches for 89 yards. Niners are heading to Vegas to face off against uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, like we've already mentioned. Uh, before I jump into the couple of the honorable mentions here, what were your thoughts on the game? And same question for, for Baltimore. Obviously, Detroit is new to this scenario, but what do you think needs to happen with this Lions team for them to take the next step next year and get to the Super Bowl? Uh, just an improvement. One, the biggest thing is improvement in the secondary. Um, that's obviously been the weakness all year. Uh, Cam Sutton has been abused a lot. Um, he's been playing against good guys also, yes, but still heavily abused. Uh, 
obviously the biggest swing of the game to me was the Josh Reynolds drop on fourth down in the third quarter. I think if he catches that ball, we win the game. Like I, I know it's hard to say that, but that was a big enough drop and a huge momentum swing. Yep. Uh, that that catch alone, and even the the later one in the game when he was on the crosser wide open. If he would have caught that one, I think we would have won the game too. Um, obviously you can't say one play changes a game, but you get the drop on fourth down from Reynolds, which should have been a first down, and we were already in scoring range then. Uh, follow that up with, and I, I say it all the time: when you watch a Lions game, you're going to see the dumbest shit you've ever seen in your life. So what happens? A bomb hits Vildor in the head. Ayuk dives, catches the ball on the two-yard line. Like It's like video game stuff that you see when you watch the Lions every week. It's just something is bound to happen that's just full of shit, and that was a big one. Uh, they obviously scored on that, and then next play, uh, Jameer Gibbs ran the wrong side, fumbled the handoff. Niners got the ball, go score. So obviously there was a huge swing immediately there. Um, that, was, that was obviously big. I do still think we could have won the game there. If you would have told me before week one started, the Lions were going to be on the road in San Francisco in the NFC Championship tied going into the fourth quarter. Give it to me all the time. Like That's a scenario I would have never dreamed would have happened. Um, nah, it just sucks that they lost it. And, and it, they lost in a, a, a very Detroit fashion. Um, a huge lead, blew it on mistakes. It just sucks. But uh, obviously, great news today with Ben Johnson coming back. That's something that no one thought was going to happen. Um, especially after last year. So we're, we're already on the right direction for next year. Obviously, the schedule is going to be a little tougher because we play all the number one teams now in the NFC. Uh, so we have that, unfortunately. But uh, we've got money to spend. Got a good young team. I, obviously, we improved the get another pass rusher and bring in a little bit of secondary help. And and I think we're, I think we're a pretty solid team. Yeah, I, I was just gonna say, like the honorable mention for me, I've got, I've got two, I've got a uh, one guy on defense, but my two guys on offense. One, Jameer Gibbs. We talked about this last week. The Lions got a lot of shit for drafting Gibbs where they drafted him. That shut up any doubters. Uh, yeah. And furthermore, I hope that it wakes up other teams talking about you, Dallas, to not be scared to take a first round draft on a player that can have that kind of impact. It took a few weeks for Gibbs to get his feet under him, but as soon as that happens, he's yep. quickly become one of the the one of, if not the most promising young running back in the league right now. Um, he finished with uh, uh, 56 all-purpose yards and a score. Uh, the next guy I wanted to mention was Jamison Williams. Uh, you and I are both big fans of Jamison Williams. We're really happy that he was able to get back into things. It took them a while to get him fully back in action and uh, involved more in the passing game. I think that you guys have a legitimate one B if he can have a full season under his belt. Jamison Williams is good and he is a, a all purpose weapon. I think that he can be used in a similar way as, as Debo in some situations. Um, Alex Anzalone led the team with eight tackles. Got to give him props there. And then the last guy that I had is Malcolm Rodriguez. He finished with five tackles, but he came up that really important interception while he was in relief duty for Brian branch uh, when he went out for an injury. So all things considered, when you look at this Ryan Lions roster, like you guys are young and talented and you've got a little bit of money to be able to spend. I, I don't want to run into Detroit in the playoffs next year. If Dallas gets there, I hope to God it's not till the NFC championship. The, the Detroit's going to get better. And with, with both of us winning the divisions, we will play next year for sure. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah. So it, it'll be, 
it'll be interesting. Um, the good news for Detroit is that they're on the front side of this, right? This isn't a Tom Brady's 45 years old and only has two years left. And what are we going to do? Like they young team. I think golf is a serviceable, uh, quarterback. And we talked about this to, to start the season. I'm honestly a, a little anxious to see Hinden hooker, get a little bit of playing time in the preseason, uh, Me next too. year. Uh, I, I think he could turn into a really good quarterback. Um, and hopefully if anything, it pushes golf a little bit, you know, having, having some talent sitting behind him, maybe it motivates him to continue to improve, but I do think he improved this year golf. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I am, I mean, I'll admit, I, I don't like Jared golf. I never have. I think he was the reason the Rams were not good. That's why I loved when they traded for Stafford. Unfortunately, I knew what that meant for the lions. Uh, I, but, uh, Ben Johnson's done Ben Johnson should get any coaching job he wants because of what he's done to Jared Goff. Um, Goff's been very good. The only thing with Hooker that I would say is Hooker gives us that running ability from quarterback that Goff doesn't, which I think could be huge. Um, unfortunately, I think Goff's going to get a pretty big extension here, and we might not ever see him in Hooker, though. Yeah. I mean, he's take. I mean, he's the quarterback that's taken, and it could be Ben Johnson, but he's the first Lions quarterback to take the team as far as he has. So, I mean, yeah, Goff needs to figure out how to play on the road like he plays at home. I I don't know what the the line break is there uh, on his performance, but I know his numbers go down when he's on the road. Not not anything that I think is uh maybe eye opening. I'm sure that there's plenty of other quarterbacks that play better at home than they do on the road, but I've seen yeah. there's a substantial drop off there for golf, depending on where you guys are at, uh, in performance there. But yeah, I mean, by all accounts, man, I mean, the St. Brown, the Porta, uh, Jamison Williams, uh, it, Monty is still under contract, right? So yeah. you guys are, you're going to have both Monty and Gibbs next year, year two Gibbs, like let that kid put on another 10 pounds of, of muscle. He's going to, I hate I hate saying this word because I always fumble it. Untackleable. If that, yeah. if that, it's a he's he's going to be a beast, man. Um, and I think Laporta was just as big of a draft pick. Laporta, St. Brown, and Jameson Williams are huge too. Like, and I I think we probably Josh Reynolds is kind of getting up there. He came with Jared. That they were obviously together, and I about said St. Louis, but they were together in L.A. for the Rams before, so they had a good connection. Um, it's probably time for him to be done. So hopefully we can bring in a good free agent or even draft like a second or third round receiver to fill that role. But yeah, I'm, I'm pretty happy with the way the team looks coming back. It's obviously it's, it's secondary and another pass rusher is, is what I'm hoping for. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hats off to the Detroit lions. You guys went way farther, uh, this year than you have in over three decades. So, uh, that's a, that's a lot to overcome. Obviously that Detroit uh fan base has been there throughout. There's there's not a better fan base in my opinion in the NFL that deserved seeing something good happen there. Um Oh, well we're talking about I, I this. Did, I did I, love watching Eminem flip off the the Niners yeah. fans. That was funny. That was awesome. I, I do want to say for the people who were uh, and a lot of people on Twitter criticizing MCDC for not kicking a field goal. Uh, first off, they must not know that the money badger, like the chances of him hitting that were not even probably 50%. So the, the going forward on fourth down is what we've done all year. We we're going to live and we're going to die by going forward on fourth down. That is Dan Campbell. That is Ben Johnson. That's, that's how we play. We fake punts all the time. We go forward on fourth down. That's, that's our style. 
So for all the idiots that were like, I don't understand why they didn't kick the field goal. Well, first off, that field goal was not a high percentage field goal for a terrible kicker who's been on like 85 teams and cut all the time. And second, that's not our style. So like, learn learn how we play before you criticize. I mean, not, I, I, I have no no anger towards MCDC whatsoever. That's that's what we do, and that's that's our motto. Like that's that's how we play. Well, what do they talk about all the time going into the playoffs is not changing. And I think actually they interviewed MCDC about this. And this was one of the things that he talked about leading up to the game is you don't change your, your routine. You don't change what you do every single week, because as soon as you start messing with that format in that formula, yep. stuff starts going awry and stuff went awry on Sunday, but that's just, that's part of the NFL shit like that's going to happen. Um, him not being aggressive on fourth down, if anything, would be like, why is he not doing this now? Because yeah. the on the opposite equation, if if Reynolds would have caught that fourth down ball and you guys would be in the Super Bowl, everybody would be praising yeah. MCDC for for taking the gamble in 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 leaning into it. So I I'm with you 100. percent I stick to what you know, stick to what got you there, and what got you there was being aggressive and understanding that six points is twice as good as three points, especially when that three, that three points isn't guaranteed. You know, if you've got a Mike Vanderjack back there, or, you know, a kicker that you can rely on, it's a completely different situation. But even then the momentum swing, if that fourth down conversion would have happened. Yeah. I don't, I don't think San Fran goes on the run that they did in the second half. If that gets converted. No. Yeah. It was as simple as Josh Reynolds catching that ball. I, I really think that that was the game. Yeah. So, all right, guys. Well, that is a recap. This is this is definitely the longest show that we've ever done. Obviously, I think we came into this thinking that we were going to be able to to touch base on a couple of the NCAA stuff, and we ended up running yeah. almost an hour on that. But it is what it is. It's been great conversation. Um, we've got two more episodes uh, this season before we wrap up. Uh, next week, we are going to have. Uh, <laughs> I thought about this earlier today. We're going to have the bomb squad come back here uh, with Carter and Scott and taxes. We're going to have those guys back on next week to make their picks. Hopefully they'll be able to actually join the show. If they can't, we'll make sure that we call it out here. Uh, When I say picks, I mean, pick, Uh, I think we're going to have a little bit of fun in the show next week and talk about some prop bets. Uh, And uh, yeah, just take a look forward to the Super Bowl here. And then we'll have one last show to recap. And then we're going to take a little bit of a break and, Uh, We're working on some things on the NFL draft side of the equation. We may be coming to you guys live where we're working on that a little bit, but we may set something up where workman and I are going to do a live show and follow along the, uh, the first round of the NFL draft. So um, lots to come. Um, I don't have anything else here. Workman, you have anything else you want to add before we sign off? Uh, no, that's pretty much it. Just uh, tune in next week because obviously we'll have Super Bowl picks. And then, like you just said, there will be a lot of fun uh, prop. Everyone loves Super Bowl props. So we'll throw a bunch of those at you next week. And I think we're even going to try to put together a uh, a single game parlay from the podcast also that everyone can bet on. Yep. Yep. We're going to have some good stuff for you guys next week. Um, all things considered, we'll even touch base on some of the Pro Bowl stuff um, if there's anything worth discussing. So uh, we also have that East. Uh, I don't know if we brought that up, but the East West uh, Shrine game is on Thursday of this week. So uh, one change from that this year is that they are allowing juniors to play. So it's not just seniors. Now we've got juniors and seniors. 
Uh, so there could be some diamonds in the rough there. This is a, if you're somebody that really pays attention to the NFL draft and is looking for some deep level talent, uh, this is a great place for you to watch that. And it gives you one more opportunity to watch some college football before uh, it officially, officially wraps up. So uh, keep an eye on that for Thursday and then all the Pro Bowl stuff that's happening this weekend. Um, we will see you guys next Tuesday with the whole crew. Uh, for fine citizen Jacob Workman, this is Captain Reese Downing for TNT Tuesday Night Touchdown Podcast, NFL Edition, uh, Conference Recap Week, and we will talk to you guys next Tuesday. Cheers. See you, everyone.